Chapter 20 of The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume 2 by Robert Paltick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 20 No further project being ripe for execution, I took a journey home with my father to Ardumstrake, and he would take all the children with him. Yorkie and I stayed about six weeks, leaving all the children with my father. Upon my return, I frequently talked with Malik about his country, who they originally were, and how long it had been inhabited, and what other countries bordered thereon, and how they lay. He told me his countrymen looked upon themselves to be very ancient, but they were not very numerous, for the old stock was almost worn out by the hardships they had undergone, that about three hundred years before, he said, as he had it from good report, there were a people from beyond the sea, or, as they called themselves, from the little lands, had strangely overrun them, and he had heard say they would have overrun this country too, but they thought it would not answer. He said, when those people first came, they began to turn up the earth to a prodigious depth, and now, says he, bringing some nasty hard earth of several sorts, they put it into great fires, till it runs about like water, and then beat it about with great heavy things into several shapes, and some of it, sir, says he, looks just like that stuff that lay at the bottom of your ship, and some almost white and some red, for when I was a boy I was to have been sent to work amongst them, as my father did, but it having killed him, I came hither, as many more have done, to avoid it. And what do they do with it, says I, when they have beat it about, as you say? Then, says he, they carry it a long way to the sea. What then, says I? Why, then the little landers take it and swim over the sea with it. And what do they do with it, says I? Why, says he, there are other people who take it from them and go away with it. Why do they let them take it, says I? Because, says he, they gave them clothes for it. Do they want clothes, says I, more than you? He told me they had no grundee. And what other countries have you hereabout? There is one country, says he, north of Alco, where they say there is just such another people as the Little Landers, and they get some of the things from Mount Alco. What do they do with them, says I? I don't know, says he. They fetch a great deal, but they won't let anybody come into their country. Is there nobody in habits between the mountain Alco and the sea? He told me no. The Little Landers would not let them. Having got what information I could from Malik, and also from a countryman or two of his he had brought to me, I considered it all over, and, thinks I, if I could but get Mount Elko to submit, for they had told me they were only governed by a deputy from the Little Lands, to see the work done, I might, by intercepting the trade to the sea, turn the profit of the country to my own way, and make it pass through our hands." I next inquired of those who brought the fruits from the great forest. 
what sort of land they had there, and found, by their description, it was a light mold, and in many places well covered with grass and herbs, and by all the report I could hear must be a fruitful country, well managed, and being a flat country, and not encompassed on that side with the Black Mountain, was much higher than Dorped Swangianti. This news put me upon searching the truth of it, and I made the tour of the Black Mountain and the Great Forest, alighting often to make my observations. The forest is a little world of wood without end, and here and there a fine lawn, very grassy, and indeed the wood grounds bear it very well, the trees not standing in crowds, but at a healthy distance from each other. I went abundantly farther than any one had before been, but saw no variation in the woody scene, and coming round westward home I had a view of Hoxamo, which is nothing but a narrow cleft in the earth on the top of the Black Mountain, of a most extraordinary depth, for upon dropping a stone down you shall hear it strike and hum for a long time before all is quiet again, and laying my ear over the cleft, whilst I ordered one of my attendants to throw a large stone down, after the usual thumps and humming, I imagined I heard it dash in water, so that it is not impossible it may reach to the sea, which is at least six or seven miles below it. Into this hole all dead bodies are precipitated, from the king to the beggar, for four glums holding by the ankles and wrists of the deceased fly them to Hoxamo and throw them down, whilst the air is filled with the lamentations of the relations of the deceased, and of such others as are induced to follow the corpse for the sake of the wines, on such occasions plentifully distributed to all comers by the gentry, and in the best proportion they are able by even the meanest amongst them. After a stay of about fourteen days at home, I fixed my next trip for Mount Elko, and having told Malik my design, he said he would go with me with all his heart, but feared I should get no Brandelgorpine to bear me, for he told me they had an old tradition that Mindrak lived there, and would not go for all the world, which has been the greatest security that country has had, for this would have devoured them else, says he. I spoke to the king, to Nazgig, and the Ragans, and found them all unanimous that the mountain Alco was the habitation of Mindrak, and that the noises which had been heard there were his servants beating bad men. Says I to myself, here is one of the usefulest projects upon earth, spoiled by an unaccountable prepossession. What must be done to overcome this prejudice? I told Malik I found what he said to be too true as to the people of Brandlegorp. But, says I, are there not enough of your countrymen here to carry me thither? He, believing there were, I ordered him to contract with them, but it vexed me very much to be obliged to take these men. However, though I resolved to go, yet I chose to reason the Ragans into the project if I could, thinking they would soon bring the people over. I called several of the Ragans together and said, because you are a wiser and more thinking people than the vulgar, I have applied myself to your judgments in the affair of Mount Alco. Now, 
Consider with yourselves whether you have any real reason beyond a prepossession for thinking these people fiends or devil's servants, as you call them, without further examination. For according to my comprehension, they only, understanding the nature of several sorts of earth, reduce them by labor and fire to solid substances for the use of mankind. And the want of these things is the reason of your living as you do without a hundredth part of the benefits of life. These sort of people, these noises and these operations, which you hear and see carried on at Alco, are to be heard and seen in my country, and we deal and traffic with their labors from one end of the world to the other, and we who are with them the happiest, without them, should be the most miserable of people." Did not some of you see at my entertainment what I called my knives and forks and spoons, my pistols, cutlasses, and silver cup? All these and infinitely more are the produce of these poor men's industry. Now, says I, if we settle a communication with these people, your dues will be all paid in these curious things, and you will have your people employed in working them, and have strangers applying to you to serve them with what they want, who in return will give you what you want, and you will find yourselves known and respected in the world." Finding some of these arguments applied to the men had staggered them a little, I applied to their senses. Says I, it still appears to me that you have your prejudices hanging on you, but what will you say if I go thither and return safe? Will you be afraid to follow me another time? They persuaded me from it as a dangerous experiment, but said if I did return, they would not think there was so much in it as they suspected. Malik, having chose me out fourscore of his countrymen, in about a month's time I trained them up to the knowledge of my pistols and cutlasses and the management of them. And taking a chest with me for the arms and other necessities, we sallied up to the Black Mountain. I rested there, and there Nazgig and Lazmiel overtook me, saying that when they found me obstinate to go, they could not in their hearts leave me, happen what would. This put new spirits into me, and we consulted how the noises lay, and agreed to engage first upon the skirts of them, where the smokes were most straggling. I charged six guns and all my pistols, which I kept in my chest, and ordered them to alight with me about a hundred paces from the first smoke they saw, then ordered three of them to carry my guns after me, and twelve of them to take pistols and follow me, but not to fire till I gave orders. The remainder I left with the baggage." We marched up to the smoke, which issued out of a low archway just at the foot of the mountain. It was very light there with the flames of the volcano, and entering the arch, a fellow ran at me with a red-hot iron bar. Him I shot dead, and seeing two more and a woman there who stood with their faces to the wall of the hut 
or room as unwilling to be seen, I ordered Malik to speak to them in a known tongue, and tell them we were no enemies, nor intended them any hurt, and that their companion's fate was owing to his own rashness in running first at me with the hot bar, and that if they would show themselves good-natured and civil to us, we should be so to them. But if they offered to resist openly or use any manner of treachery towards us, they might depend upon the same fate their companion had just suffered." Upon hearing this, they approached us, and showing great tokens of submission, I delivered my gun to Malik, and bade them to go on with their work, ordering all the guns out of the shop for fear of a spark. I then perceived they were direct forges, but made after another manner from ours, their wind being made by a great wheel, like a wheel of a watermill, which worked with the fans or wings in a large trough and caused a prodigious issue of air through a small hole in the back of the fireplace. They were then drawing out iron bars. I gave each of these men, and also to the women, a dram of brandy, which they swallowed down very greedily, and looked for more, and seemed very pleasant. I then inquired into the trade, by whom and how it was carried on, and they told me just as Malik had done. I then asked where the mines lay, and one of them, looking full at me, said, Then you know what we are about. Yes, says I, very well. He told me the mine was, in his language as Malik interpreted it, about a quarter of a mile off, and directed me to it. I ordered them to go on with their work, telling them, though I left a guard over them, it was only that they might not raise their neighbors to disturb me, though if they did, I should serve them all as I had done their companion, and left four men with pistols at the archway. I proceeded to the iron mine, but supposed the men were all within, for I saw nobody, but there were many large heaps of ore lying, which I felt of, and, being vastly heavy, I supposed it might be rich in metal. I returned to my men at the arch, and asked them what other mines there might be in that country, and of what other metals. But Malik, not knowing the metals themselves, was not able to interpret the names they called them by. I then showed them an English halfpenny, a Portuguese piece of silver money, and my gold watch, and asking if they had any of those, they pointed to the halfpenny and silver piece, but shook their heads at the watch. I then showed them a musket ball, and they said they had a great deal of that. I desired them to show me the way to the copper mine, pointing my finger to the halfpenny, and told them if they would go with me, they should have some more pointing to my brandy, and they readily agreed if I would stand by them for leaving their work. I believe it might be two miles farther on the right to the copper mine, and as these men had the Grundy, I expected they would have flown by me, but I found they had a light chain round their Grundy which prevented them, so I walked too, and having made them my friends by being familiar with them, I desired they would go in, and let the headman of the works know that a stranger desired to speak with him and view his work. 
works, and to inform him how peaceable I was if he used me civilly, but that I could strike him dead at once if he did not. I do not know how they managed or what report they made, but the man came to me very courteously, and I bade Malik to ask him if he came in friendship, as I did to him, and he giving me that assurance, I went in with him, taking Nazgig and Malik with me, and leaving our firearms without. I ordered them both, as I did myself, to carry their cutlasses, sheathed in their hands, for fear of a surprise. We saw a great quantity of copper ore, and several melting vats, being just at the mouth of the mine, the mine running horizontally into the side of the mountain, and, as they said, was very rich. I gave the headman a little brandy, and two or three more of them, who had been industrious in showing and explaining things to me. I desired the foreman to walk out with me, and asking how long he had been in that employ, he told me he was a native of the Bourne Isles, and was brought thither young, where he first wrought in the iron, then in the silver, and now in this mine, that he had been there twenty years, and never expected to be delivered from his miserable slavery. But as he was now overseer of that work, he did pretty well, though nothing like freedom. He told me they expected several new slaves quickly, for the mines killed those they did not agree with so fast they were very thinly wrought at present, and that the governor was gone to the isles to get more men. I was glad to hear this. And pray, says I, where does the governor reside? He, pointing to the place, told me. And what guard, says I, may he keep? About four hundred men, but nobody durst molest him, says he, for he tortures them in such a manner, never killing them, that not the least thing can be done against his will. After we had talked a good while on the misery of slavery, and finding him a man fit for my purpose, I asked him if he would go with me to Brandelgorp. For, said I, there are certainly good mines in those mountains, and if you will overlook them, you shall be free, and have whatever you desire. He shook his head, saying, How could he expect to be free where all the rest were slaves? And besides, says he, they are in such commotions among themselves that it is said the state will be torn to pieces." You are mistaken, says I, very much. I myself have settled peace amongst them, and killed the usurper. Is it possible, says he? And are you the man it was said they expected to come out of the sea? The very same, says I. And as to slavery, there is not a slave in the kingdom, nor shall be here if you will hearken to me. That would be a good time indeed, says he. Well, says I, my friend, I promise you it shall be so. Only observe this, that when I come to reduce the governor, do none of you miners assist him. He promised he would let the other miners secretly know it, and all should be as I wished, but desired me to be expeditious, for the governor was expected every day. I went from him to the other mines, and my guides with me, who, seeing me so well received at the copper mine, and reporting it to the others, it caused my proceedings to go on smoothly, and my offers to be readily embraced wherever I came. 
Having prepared matters thus, I set Malik and his countrymen upon the natives to treat with them about submission to Georgetti on promise of freedom, who, being assured of what I had done at Brandelgorp, and in hopes of like liberty, readily came into it, so that the only thing remaining was, before the governor's return, to attack the soldiery. Having therefore renewed my engagements with the miners, and believing myself upon as good terms with the natives as I could wish, I was advised by Nazgig and Lasmiel to return for cannon and a large army before I attacked the soldiery. But I, who had all my life rode upon the spur, having considered that an opportunity once lost is never to be regained, and though I could have wished for some cannon, I valued the men but for show. I therefore formed my resolves to march with the force I had next morning, and pitch upon a plain just by the governor's garrison, in order, if I could, to draw his men out. I did so, and it answered, for upon the first news of my coming they appeared with a sort of heavy-headed weapons, which hurling round they threw upwards a slope, in order to light upon the backs of their enemies in flight, and beat them down, but they could not throw them above thirty paces. I sat still in my chair, with a gun in my hand, and Malik with another at my elbow, with four more lying by me, ready to be presented, Lasmiel standing by to charge again as fast as we fired. I ordered a party of twenty of my men with cutlasses to attack the van of the enemy, by rushing impetuously upon them, they coming but thin against me, for I was not willing to employ my pieces till I could do more execution. They began the attack about a hundred yards before me, not very high in the air, and my cutlassmen, having avoided the first flight of their weapons, fell upon them with such fury that chopping here a limb and there a grundy, which, disabling their flight, was equally pernicious, they fell by scores before me. But I, seeing those in the rear, which made a body of near three hundred, coming very swift and close in treble ranks, one above the other, hoping to bear down my handful of men with their numbers, I ordered my men all to retire behind me, and not until the enemy were passed over my head to fall on them, Malik and I, as they came near, each firing a piece together and whipping up another, and then another, in an instant they fell round us, roaring and making a horrid yell. This, the rest seeing, went over our men's heads, not without many falling from the cuts of my men, and those who escaped were never heard of more. The miners, who from their several stations had beheld the action, came singing and dancing from every quarter round me, and if I had not drawn my men close in a circle about me, would probably, out of affection, have done me more hurt than two of the governor's armies, for against these common gratitude denied the use of force, and they, crowding every one but to touch me, they said, for fear of being pressed to death myself, as some of them almost were, I ordered them to be let in through my men at one side of the ring, and, passing by and touching me, to be let out on the other side, and this quieted them, but kept me in penance a long time." 
We then marched in a body all into the town, where we were going to proclaim Georgetti, king of Mount Elko, when a surly fellow, much wiser than the rest, as he thought, being about to harangue the people against being too hasty in it, was knocked down and trod to death for his pains, and we went on with the proclamation, giving general liberty to all persons, without exception. The next thing to be considered was how to oppose the governor when he came, and for that purpose I inquired into the manner of his coming, the road he came, and his attendants, and being informed that a hundred of his guards who had not the Grundy waited for him at the seaside, and that he had got no other guard except a few friends and the slaves he went for, and that the slaves always came first, six in rank tied together under convoy of a few of his guards, I went in person to view the route he came, and seeing a very convenient post in a thick wood through which they were to pass, from whence we might see them before they came near us, I posted a watch on the seaside of the wood, and myself and men lay on the hither side of it, just where the governor's party must come out of it again, so that my watch giving notice of their approach, we might be ready to fall on at their coming out of our side of the wood. When we had waited three days, our watch brought word they were coming, so we kept as close as possible, letting the slaves and guards march on, who came by about two hours' march before the governor, but so soon as he approached, I drew up my men on the plain within the wood in ranks, ordering them to lie close on their bellies till they saw me rise, and then to rise, follow me, and obey orders. Several of the first ranks having passed the wood, just as the governor had entered the open country, I rose and bade Malik call aloud that if any of them stirred or lifted up a weapon, he was a dead man, and then, seeing one of the foremost running, I fetched him down with a musket shot, bidding Malik tell the rest that if they submitted and laid down their weapons, they were safe, but if they refused, I would serve them all as I had done him who fled." This speech, with the terror of the gun, fixed every man to his place like a statue. I then went forward to the governor, and by Malik, my interpreter, asked him who they all were with him. He told me his slaves. I then made him call every man before him and give him freedom, which finding no way to avoid, for I looked very stern, he did, and I had enough to do to quiet my new freeman, who I thought would have devoured me for joy. I asked him whither he was going. He said to his government, Under whom do you hold it, says I? Under the zaps of the isles, says he. I then told him that whoever held that government for the future must receive it from the hands of Georgetti, the king of that country, to whom all natives and miners had already engaged their fidelity. I told him both natives and foreigners had been all declared free. The governor seemed much dejected, and told me he hoped I would not use him or his company ill. I told him that depended entirely on his own and their good behavior. I asked him who his friends were that were with him, and he said they were some of the Zapp's relations who were come to see the method of the government and inspect the mines.
ordering all the governor's guards and friends to go before, and all my own, but Malik to keep backwards some paces, I entered into discourse with him about the state of the isles and the country of Alco, and finding him a judicious person and not a native of the isles, I thought with some management he might prove a useful person to me, but did not like the character I had heard of his severity. So I plainly told him that only one thing prevented my making him a greater man than ever he was, which was, I had been informed, he had a roughness in his nature which drove him to extremities with the poor slaves, which I could not bear." Sir, says he, whatever a man is in his natural temper, where slavery abounds, it is necessary to act, or at least to be thought to do so, in a merciless manner. I am entrusted with the government of a land of only slaves, who have no more love, nor are they capable of any, for me, than the herbs of the ground have. I am to render an account to my masters of their labors. They work by force, and would not stir a step without it, or the fear of correction, for which reason the rod must be ever held over them, and though I seldom let it fall, when I do, the suffering of one is too long remembered to permit others quickly to subject themselves to the like punishment. And this method I judged to be the most mild, as the death or sufferings of one but seldom must, though ever so severe, be milder than the frequent execution of numbers. And as to my appearing severe to them, my post required it. For mercy to slaves being interpreted into fear arms them with violence against you. I could not gainsay this, especially as he told me he was glad that I had freed them all. For no man, says he, but if he were to choose, would rather reign by love, which he may in a free country, but it is impracticable in one of slaves, than by fear, which alone will keep the latter in subjection. I asked him whether, as he knew the nature of the country and the business of the governor, he would become faithful to my master, Georgetti. He told me he had ever been faithful to his masters, the Zaps, and would, till he was sure, without suspecting in the very least my veracity, all was true that I was pleased to tell him, for nothing could satisfy his conscience but being an eyewitness of it, and then being discharged from any further capacity of serving them in an open way, he should be free to choose his own master, of all whom Georgetti should to him be most preferable but begged me not to interpret his desire of retaining fidelity to his old masters till he could no longer serve them into an implication of assisting them by either open or concealed practices, for wherever he engaged he would be true to the utmost. At the end of six days, for I traveled on foot with them, we arrived at the governor's palace, which we found without a guard, and all the slaves he had sent before him at liberty. So I ordered my men to supply the usual guard and took my lodging in the governor's apartment. As Gadzi, for that was the governor's name, was not confined, or any of his friends, he came into my apartment and told me since he had found all things answered my report, if I pleased, he would quit the palace to me and everything belonging to the government. I told him he said well. 
He did so, taking with him only some few things, his own property. So soon as he was without the territory of the palace, I sent for him and his friends back again. He could not help being dejected at his return, fearing some mischief. Gadzi, says I, this palace and this country, which I now hold for my master, Georg Regetti, I deliver in custody to you as his governor, and now charge you to make acknowledgment of your fidelity to him. Then, taking it from him in terms of my own proposing, I delivered him the regalia of his government, charging him to maintain freedom. But, says I, let no man eat who will not work, as the country and the produce are the king's. I then summoned an assembly of the people and sent notice to all the miners to attend me. I told them all that the king desired of them was to make themselves happy. And as the mines at present, says I, are the only employment of this country, I would have it agreed by your own consent, for I will force nothing upon you, that every man amongst you from sixteen to sixty shall work every third week at the mines and other duties of the government, and two weeks out of three shall be your own to provide in for your families, and if I live to come back again, you shall each man have so much land of his own as shall be sufficient for his family, and I will make it my business to see for seeds to improve it with, and this week's work in three, if afterwards it can be done with less in four, shall be an acknowledgment to the king for his bounty to you. Do you agree to this? They all, with one voice, cried out, We do. Then, says I, agree amongst yourselves, and part into proper divisions for carrying on the work, that is, into four parts, one for each sort of metal, and then again, each of those four into three parts, and on every seventh day in the morning, let those who are to begin meet those who are leaving off work, so that there be clear six days' work and one of going and returning. Do you all agree to this? All cried, We do. Then, says I, whoever neglects his duty, unless through sickness or by leave of the governor, shall work a double week. Do you agree to this? We do. Then all matters of difference between you shall be decided by the governor, and in case of any injury or injustice or wrong judgment in the governor by Georgetti. Do you agree? We do. Then, says I, agree upon ten men, two for the natives and two for each mineral work, to send with me to Brandelgorp to petition Georgetti to confirm these laws, till you shall make others yourselves, and to acknowledge his sovereignty. Do you agree? We do. I then told them that, as those who had been slaves were now free, they might, if they pleased, return home. But as I should make it my endeavor to provide so well for them in all the comforts of life, I believed most of them would be of opinion their interests would keep them where they were, and, above all things, recommending a hearty union between the new freemen and the natives, and to marry amongst each other, and to continue in love amongst themselves, and duty to the king and his governor.
and promising speedily to return and settle what was wanting, I dismissed the assembly and set out for Brandlegorp with the ten deputies. But I left Lasmiel behind with the governor and two servants with him to give me immediate notice in case any disturbance should happen in my absence. End of chapter 20